Book Two, Chapter Eight of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Sally McConnell. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Two, Chapter Eight. An Answer. Mr. and Mrs. Tyrold and Lavinia were at breakfast when Sir Hugh entered their parlour the next morning. Brother, he cried, I have something of great importance to tell you, which it is very fit my sister should hear too, for which reason I make no doubt, but my dear Lavinia's good sense will leave the room without waiting for a hint. Lavinia instantly retired. Oh, my dear brother, continued the baronet, do you know here's a young chap who appears to be a rather good sort of man, which is so much the worse, who has been falling in love with Eugenia? He then delivered the two letters to Mr. Tyrold. Now the only thing that hurts me in this business, that this young man, who Miss Margland calls a person of fashion, writes as well as Clermont himself would do, though that is what I shall never own to Eugenia, which I hope is no sin, being all for her own sake. That is to say, for Clermont's. Mr. Tyrold, after attentively reading the letters, gave them to his wife, and made many inquiries concerning their writer, and his acquaintance with Eugenia and Miss Margland. Why, it was all brought about, said Sir Hugh, by their going to a ball and a public breakfast, which is a thing my little Camilla is not at all to blame for, because if nobody had put it in her head, she would not have known there was a thing of the kind. And, indeed, it was but natural in poor Lionel neither to set her agog, the chief fault lying in the assizes, to which my particular objection is against the lawyers, who come into a town to hang and transport the poor, by way of keeping the peace, and then encourage the rich to make all the noise and riot they can, by their own junketings, for which, however, being generally, I believe, pretty good scholars, I make no doubt, but they have their own reasons. I flatter myself said Mrs. Tyrold, scarce deigning to finish the letters. Eugenia, young as she is, will need no counsel how to estimate a writer such as this. What must the man be, who, presuming upon his personal influence, ventures to claim her concurrence on an application to her friends, though he has seen her but twice, and knows her to be destitute of the smallest knowledge of his principles, his character, or his situation in life? Good lack! cried the baronet. What a prodigious poor head I must have! Here I could hardly sleep all night for thinking what a fine letter this jackanapes, which I shall make no more apology for calling him, had been writing, fearing it would cut up poor Clermont, in her opinion, for all his grand tour. Perfectly restored to ease, he now bade them good morning. But Mr. Tyrold entreated him to stay till they had settled how to get rid of the business. My dear brother, he answered. I want no more help now, since I've got your opinion. That is, my sister's, which I take it for granted is the same. I make no doubt, but Eugenia will pretty near have writ her foul copy by the time I get home, which Dr. Orkborn may overlook for her, to the end that this Mr. Upstart may have no more fault to find against it. They both desired to dine at Cleves, that they might speak themselves with Eugenia. And how, said Mr. Tyrold, with a strong secret emotion, how goes on Edgar with Indiana? Vastly well, vastly well indeed, 
not that I pretend to speak for myself, being rather too dull in these matters, owing to never entering upon them in the right season, as I intend to tell other young men doing the same. He then, in warm terms, narrated the accounts given him by Miss Margland of the security of the conquest of Indiana. Mr. Tyrold fixed his hour for expecting the carriage, and the baronet desired that Lavinia should be of the party, because, he said, I see she has the proper discretion when she is wanted to go out of the way, which must be the same with Camilla and Indiana too to-day, as well as with young Mr. Edgar, for I don't think it prudent to trust such new beginners with everything that goes on till they get a little older. The anxiety of Mr. Tyrold concerning Bellamy was now mingled with a cruel regret in relation to Mandelbert. Even his own upright conduct could scarce console him for the loss of his favourite hope and he almost repented that he had not been more active in endeavouring to preserve it. All that passed in his mind was read and participated in by his partner, whose displeasure was greater, though her mortification could but be equal. That Edgar, said she, should have kept his heart wholly untouched, would less have moved my wonder. He has a peculiar, though unconscious, delicacy in his nature, which results not from insolence nor presumption, but from his own invariable and familiar exercise of every virtue and of every duty, the smallest deviation is offensive, and even the least inaccuracy is painful to him. Was it possible, then, to be prepared for such an election as this? He has disgraced my expectations. He has played the common part of a mere common young man, whose eye is his sole governor. My Georgiana, said Mr. Tyrold, I am deeply disappointed. Our two eldest girls are but slightly provided for, and Eugenia is far more dangerously circumstanced, in standing so conspicuously apart, as a prize to some adventurer. One of these three precious cares I had fondly concluded certain of protection and happiness, for whichever I might have bestowed upon Edgar Mandelbert, I should have considered as the most fortunate of her sex. Let us, however, rejoice for Indiana." No one can more need a protector, and, next to my own three girls, there is no one for whom I am so much interested. I grieve, however, for Edgar himself, whose excellent judgment will in time assert its rights, though passion at this period has set it aside. I am too angry with him for pity, said Mrs. Tyrold, nor is his understanding of a class that has any claim to such lenity. I had often thought our gentle Lavinia almost born to be his wife, and no one could more truly have deserved him. But the soft perfection of her character relieves me from any apprehension for her conduct, and almost all my solicitude devolves upon Camilla. For our poor Eugenia I had never indulged a hope of his choice, though that valuable, unfortunate girl, with every unearned defect about her, intrinsically merits him, with all its advantages, his accomplishments, and his virtues. But to appreciate her, uninfluenced by pecuniary views, to which he is every way superior, was too much to expect from so young a man. My wishes, therefore, had guided him to our Camilla, that sweet, open, generous, inconsiderate girl, whose feelings are all virtues, but whose impulses have no restraints. I have not a fear for her when she can act with deliberation, but fear is almost all I have left when I consider her as led by the start of the moment. With him, however, she would have been the safest, and with him, next alone to her mother, the happiest of her sex. 
The kindest acknowledgments repaid this sympathy of sentiment, and they agreed that their felicity would have been almost too complete for this lower world if such an event had come to pass. Nevertheless, its failure, added Mrs. Tyrold, is almost incredible and wholly unpardonable. That Indiana should vanquish where Lavinia and Camilla have failed, I feel indignant at such a triumph of mere external, unintelligent beauty. Eugenia received her parents with the most bashful confusion. Yet they found, upon conversing with her, it was merely from youthful shame, and not from any dangerous prepossession. The observations of Camilla had broken that spell with which a first declaration of regard is apt to entangle unreflecting inexperience, and by teaching her to less value the votary, had made the conquest less an objection of satisfaction. She was gratified by the permission of her uncle to write her own answer, which is now produced. To Alfonso Bellamy, Esquire. Sir, I am highly sensible to the honour of your partiality, which I regret it is not possible for me to deserve. Be not, therefore, offended, and still less suffer yourself to be afflicted, when I confess I have only my poor thanks to offer, and poor esteem to return, for your unmerited goodness. Dwell not, sir, upon this disappointment, but receive my best wishes for your restored happiness, for never can I forget a distinction to which I have so little claim. Believe me, sir, your very much obliged and most grateful humble servant, Eugenia Tyrold. Mr. Tyrold, who delighted to see how completely in her studies with Dr. Orkborne she had escaped any pedantry or affectation, and even preserved all the native humility of her artless character, returned her the letter with an affectionate embrace, and told her he could desire no alteration but that of omitting the word grateful at the conclusion. Mrs. Tyrold was far less satisfied. She wished it to be completely rewritten protesting that a man who, in all probability, was a mere fortune-hunter, would refer from so gentle a dismission encouragement rather than repulse. Sir Hugh said there was only one thing he desired to have added, which was a hint of a pre-engagement with a relation of her own. Eugenia, at this, coloured and retreated, and Mrs. Tyrold reminded the baronet, with some displeasure, of his promise to guard the secret of his project. Sir Hugh, a little disturbed, said it never broke out from him but by accident, which he would take care should never get the upper hand again. He would not, however, consent to have the letter altered, which he said would be an affront to the learning of Eugenia, unless it were done by Dr. Orkborne himself, who, being her master, had a right to correct her first penmanship. Dr. Orkborne, being called upon, slightly glanced his eye over the letter, but made no emendation, saying, I believe it will do very sufficiently, but I have only concerned myself with the progress of Miss Eugenia in the Greek and Latin languages. Anybody can teach her English. The fond parents finished their visit in full satisfaction with their irreproachable Eugenia, and with the joy of seeing their darling Camilla as happy and as disengaged as when she had left them. But Mandelbert had spent the day abroad, and escaped, therefore, the observations with which they had meant to have investigated his sentiments. Indiana, with whom they conversed more than usual, and with the most scrutinizing attention, offered nothing either in manner or matter to rescue his decision from their censure. Mrs. Tyrrell, therefore, rejoiced at his absence, lest a coolness she knew not how to repress should have led him to surmise her disappointment. Her husband besought her to be guarded. 
he had no right, he said, to the disposal of his heart, and Indiana, however he may find her inadequate to his future expectations, will not disgrace his present choice. She is beautiful, she is young, and she is innocent. This in early life is sufficient for felicity, and Edgar is yet too new in the world to be aware how much of life remains when youth is gone, and too unpractised to foresee that beauty loses its power even before it loses its charms, and that the season of declining nature sighs deeply for the support which sympathy and intelligence can alone bestow. End of Book 2, Chapter 8book 2 chapter 9 of camilla this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org read by sally mcconnell camilla or a picture of youth by fanny burney book 2 chapter 9 an explication the visit which Camilla had designed this morning to Mrs. Albury, she had been induced to relinquish through a speech made to her by Lionel. "'You have done for yourself now,' said he, exultingly. "'So you may be governed by that scarecrow, Miss Margland, at your leisure. "'Do you know you were not once mentioned again at the Grove, neither by Miss Albury nor anybody else, "'and they all agreed Indiana was the finest girl in the world?' Camilla though of the same opinion with respect to Indiana, concluded Mrs. Albury was offended by her retreat, and lost all courage for offering any apology. Edgar did not return to Cleves till some time after the departure of Mr. and Mrs. Tyrold, when he met Miss Margland and the young ladies strolling in the park. Camilla, running to meet him, asked if he had restored the locket to the right owner. No, answered he, smiling, not yet. What can be done, then? My half-guinea is gone, and to confess the truth, I have not another I can well spare. He made no immediate reply, but after speaking to the rest of the party, walked on towards the house. Camilla, in some perplexity, following him, exclaimed, Pray tell me, what must I do? Indeed, I am quite uneasy. You would really have me give the locket to its rightful proprietor? To be sure I would. My commission, then, is soon executed and taking a little chagrin case from his waistcoat pocket, he put it into her hand. "'What can you mean? Is there still any mistake?' "'None but what you may immediately rectify, by simply retaining your own prize.' Camilla, opening the case, saw the locket, and perceived under the crystal a light knot of braided hair. But while she looked at it, he hurried into the house. She ran after him, and insisted upon an explanation, declaring it to be utterly impossible that the locket and the half-guinea should belong to the same person. "'You must not, then,' he said, "'be angry if you find I have managed at last, but awkwardly. When I came to the library, the master of the raffle told me it was against all rule to refund a subscription.' He stopped. "'The half-guinea you put in my hand, then,' cried she, colouring, "'was your own.' "'My dear Miss Camilla,' there is no other occasion upon which I would have hazarded such a liberty. But as the money was for a charity, and as I had undertaken what I could not perform, I rather ventured to replace it than suffer the poor objects for whom it was destined to miss your kind attention. You have certainly done right, said she, feeling for her purse. 
but you must not, for that reason, make me a second time do wrong. You will not so much hurt me, replied he gravely. You will not reprove me as if I were a stranger, a mere common acquaintance. Where could the money have been so well bestowed? It is not you, but those poor people who are in my debt. So many were the chances against your gaining the prize, that it was an event I had not even taken into consideration. I had merely induced you to leave the shop, that you might not have the surprise of finding your name was not withdrawn. The rest was accident, and surely you will not punish me that I have paid to the poor the penalty of my own ill-weighed officiousness. Camilla put up her purse, but, with some spirit, said, There is another way to settle the matter which cannot hurt you. If I do not pay you my half-guinea, you must at least keep the fruits of your own. And she returned him the locket. And what, cried he, laughing, must I do with it? Would you have me wear it myself? Give it, answered she innocently, to Indiana. No, replied he, reddening and putting it down upon a table. But you may, if you believe her value will be greater than your own for the hair of your two sisters. Camilla, surprised, again looked at it, and recognised the hair of Lavinia and Eugenia. "'And how in the world did you get this hair?' I told them both the accident that had happened, and begged them to contribute their assistance to obtain your pardon. "'Is it possible?' cried she with vivacity. "'You could add to all your trouble so kind a thought?' And without a moment's further hesitation she accepted the prize, returning him the most animated thanks and flying to Eugenia to inquire further into the matter, and then to her uncle to show him her new acquisition. Sir Hugh, like herself, immediately said, But why did he not give it to Indiana? I suppose, said Eugenia, because Camilla had herself drawn the prize, and he had only added our hair to it. This perfectly satisfied the baronet, but Indiana could by no means understand why it had not been managed better. And Miss Margland, with much ill-will, nourished a private opinion that the prize might perhaps have been her own, had not Mandelbert interfered. However, as there seemed some collusion which she could not develop, her conscience wholly acquitted her of any necessity to refund her borrowed half-guinea. Camilla, meanwhile, decorated herself with a locket, and had nothing in her possession which gave her equal delight. Miss Margland now became, internally, less sanguine with regard to the preference of Edgar for Indiana, but she concealed from Sir Hugh a doubt so unpleasant, through an unconquerable repugnance to acknowledge it possible she could have formed a wrong judgment. End of Book Two, Chapter Nine